You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to continue our conversation talking about the top questions coaches have around the globe, and we have some pretty good topics selected for today's episode. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 20 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Thank you much. Thank you so much for tuning in today to this uh, to another episode uh, where we're gonna dive in and talk about the you know the topics that coaches want to know about. But um, but before we do that, I mean, can you believe we're at episode 20? Uh, it's a little little milestone, not a big milestone, but a little milestone. But nevertheless, it's still a milestone, you know. When I first started this podcast, it was just to, you know, I, I mean, it still is to, you know, educate the world and grow the game. But I, I, I love it. I love these episodes. I love connecting with my listeners uh, on a different level than I can on, you know, Instagram and TikTok and all those other social media platforms. But this is fun. So if you're listening on the on the way to work, or you're listening while you do a run, or and you know, just listening. At, at home or wherever you are thank you thank you thank you so much for listening and you know making the show more popular um i've been reading reviews i appreciate everyone that's been you know reviewing the podcast if you haven't you know i i really i invite you to do so i i, I read all the reviews i love the feedback it really helps you know grow the show and gets it in front of more people which is you know which is great um uh before we do begin t- uh, talking about these topics i do want to let all my coaches know out there this Wednesday, so if you're listening to this past October 28th, I'm sorry, the workshop is over. But if it's before October 28th and you're listening to this, this Wednesday, October 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time is my coaches workshop. And I have we have over 200 coaches registered for this workshop. I can't wait. It's going to be great. I'm going to be walking you guys through efficiency, how to become a more efficient coach, how to run a more efficient practice. You know, how many of you coaches out there are, you know, have a two hour practice and sometimes you feel like you wasted half of it or you, you didn't capitalize on all those, those entire two hours. You didn't maximize that opportunity because unfortunately, you know, we time is not a is not a luxury. You know, time is is a commodity. We have to make sure we utilize it as best as we can. So I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you how it how efficiency changed my coaching career. Like the minute I started dialing out of my efficiency, my practices, my game planning, my players, everything just got so much better, so much faster, and it was incredible. It was incredible to see what just a shift in mindset, a shift in ideology can change the way you do things. It was unreal. I, I have, you know, to be fair, it wasn't just me. I have my mentor, John Spira, to thank for a lot of that because he introduced me to a, a whole new different way of thinking. And then I, I added my own coaching to that. And then before you knew it, I had my formula. And it was uh, it was incredible. So I can't wait to show, share that with you all. Um, so it's going to be a great workshop and it's free. It's completely free. Uh, it's, my, it's my way of giving back to the game and growing the game. Listen, the way I look at it this way is if I can help one coach, they can help 12 players. And that is 
far more impactful than I can do by just helping players. So if I can help coaches, and which I'm going to be doing much more of going forward in my in the future, I found that that is where I can affect the most change. So if you're a coach and you want it and you're interested, sign up. Um, the link is in the show notes. Also, you can hit me up on Instagram if you want more information. And the, the the links on my Instagram. My Instagram is Brian Singh underscore Coach B. Brian Singh underscore Coach B. You can find me on the grams. And um, reach out, let me know, and I would love, love to help you and, and work more with you. And to be honest, I'm actually like, like I haven't made any official announcements yet, but you're going to be hearing some things up in the upcoming future where uh, I'm going to be working with coaches a lot more than players. I'm, I'm kind of taking a step back from working with players, except my college team. I'm, I'm obviously... I'm the head coach of my of my team, so I'm not going to be leaving them. I'm going to still be coaching my players, and I'll still be guest coaching in, in the local area and stuff like that. But in terms of anyone around the world and my online stuff, it, it's heavily going to be transitioning to coaches because you know that's that's where I can help the most. I, I can affect the most change. I can help. I can help people the most in that sense. And, and I love doing it. I, I really enjoy talking to coaches and helping them out because me and coaches, we, we kind of share the same passion, you know, why did I get into coaching? Because I wanted to affect change. I want to help kids. I wanted, to, I wanted to teach them the tools of volleyball so it can help them in their right, in their life, whether it's job, family, anything. I, I wanted to, you know, create a bigger change. So that's what we're trying to do. Okay. I'm sorry. I've been talking for four or five minutes and we haven't even talked about the topic yet. So let's get into some, let's get into some volleyball. Okay. So, uh, sign up for the workshop if you haven't already, and I will see you on Wednesday. All right, well, the first thing we're going to talk about is this ideal of tempo offense. Uh, I, I get this a lot from coaches. I want to run a tempo offense, or why do I need to run a tempo offense? Well, I'll tell you something. A tempo offense is high level. So th- there's two different types of offenses, right? You can write a tempo or you can run a high ball. A high ball offense is when the ball is set nice and high and the hitter has all the time in the world to come in and make a shot and so forth. But it also gives the defense all the time in the world to transition their block and establish their block and, and be set up before you contact the ball. So that's more, you, you normally find that at the lower age group. At the higher age group and college and pro, etc., they are running a tempo offense. And a tempo offense is a ball that is set faster to the pins and to the backcourt players. And it's almost going through the antenna because it has speed on it. So there's not much of an arc. It's more of a flat ball in the air and it has some speed on it. So that's a tempo. And and why a tempo offense is so valuable is because if you are running that consistently, it's very difficult for the defense to be able to get over and put up a double block or set their defense up the way they want to stop that offense because it's tough. So when should you run a tempo offense, right? That's a question I got from coaches. How, how, do, you, how do they know uh, when they should begin to run a tempo offense and what do you need in order to run it? Well, that's a great question. And I'll tell you, I, I think I talked about it on a previous episode of the mistake that I made. Um, and this, this may be able, you may be able to relate to this. So I coached, actually, I made, I made this mistake twice, in fact, not even once. Um, so when I was a younger coach, um, I coached a, a high school team, a senior, a senior boys high school team, a varsity team, if you will, but they weren't, they weren't a tier one level team. We were, they were like, I would say a tier two level team. They were, they were okay, but they didn't, they didn't have many, they didn't, I don't think they had a single club player. Um, and they were really good athletes. I mean, they, they were good rec players. I think I'd call it that. I also coached a club team. Uh, my very first year coaching club, I took over a 17U team 
and it was my very first time coaching club and obviously I'm, I'm gonna run a tempo offense right there are 17 new boys they must be running a tempo offense if we want to be competitive so I made the mistake of running a tempo offense for both teams and the reason why it was a mistake is because they didn't have the ability to run a tempo offense because you need to have some skills to be able to run that type of offense. There's a reason why at the younger age group, they don't run that offense. It's because they're limited in certain things. So let's start with one, your ability to pass a ball. If you can't pass a ball in system consistently, you have no reason running a tempo offense. I mean, I know it's nice to run a tempo offense, but if you're not passing, the setter has no time to get behind the ball and your hitters probably don't have enough time to make their way outside the court to approach you know, and make a full approach and swing. Uh, so if you can't pass consistently, a tempo offense is going to be very difficult for you to run. Okay. Also, here's another one. Athleticism. Okay. If you are not contacting the ball above the tape, it is going to be very difficult to run a tempo offense because you don't have the athleticism to be able to do that. Tempo offenses are normally played above the top of the tape. There's height involved. So you have to have enough athleticism to be able to run a tempo offense effectively it's just not going to work if you're very un if you're undersized and you're not athletic and you know it, it's just and that was the mistake i made with with both teams in fact for both of them they didn't have the ability to pass consistently and their athleticism wasn't there now if their fundamentals were there like fundamentals meaning they they could pass their fun they were fundamentally sound with hitting then sure we could have explored the tempo offense because if you even if you have an undersized team but they're extremely skilled you may get away with running a tempo offense and it may be effective and i've seen teams do it and it was great but you got to be fundamentally sound and your skill level has to be extremely high before you can run a tempo offense because if you don't have the ability to hit a high ball consistently you know, rotating, engaging your core, rotating high, swinging, making the shots, like swinging with, I always say this, swinging with a purpose, not just swinging at the ball for the sake of swinging at the ball and hoping that you score, then you can, you know, potentially try to run a tempo offense. But you gotta, you gotta have those things in place first. And the last thing I'll add about a tempo offense is IQ. You have to be a smart enough player to understand the game at a level that allows you to run a tempo offense. If you don't, then you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in a tough position to score. And you're, what you're gonna find, which I found when I, when I, years ago when I was doing this, was you're gonna commit more errors than points. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to put yourself in that situation because you got to remember when. And I, I've said this in the past. If the ball is set off the net, the hitter has the advantage. Okay, the hitter always has the advantage, whether you're running a tempo offense or a high ball offense. If the ball is set off the net, the hitter has the advantage. So I would make sure that your hitters know what to do with the ball first before you implement a tempo offense into your program, okay? And that's just my own personal view on it, and I, and I think that I, I don't think I'm alone in that view uh, because it, it, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? All right, so... Team tempo offense, okay, make sure you have the ability to pass, make sure you have the athleticism that allows you to run that tempo offense, make sure your players have the fundamentals and skills to execute attacks that can uh, that a tempo offense, you know, enables them to do, and then make sure their IQ is there, they have to have, you know, they have to be experienced, 
you're not going to be running a tempo offense with players that are just starting to learn volleyball. I'm sorry, it's just not going to work that way. So they have to be experienced and they have to have the IQ, the volleyball IQ uh, that allows them to be able to play at that high level. All right. So that's, that's a couple of tips for tempo offense. Let's move on to topic number two, serve, receive, serve, receive. Now, every, every coach out there is going to be working on serve, receive. In fact, I, I would argue serve, receive might be one of the top skills that, that coaches work on um, in practice the most, because as you all know, if you can't pass, you can't do anything else in our game. You can't set, you can't hit, you can't block, you can't do anything. You got to be able to pass. Now, to be quite honest, I could probably talk for hours and hours and hours about serve receive because there's so much that goes around it. And inside Digital Volleyball Academy, which many of you know is my signature membership, I have an entire course, an entire in-depth course talking about serve receive, talking about you know a step-by-step approach on how to pass a ball, you know, how to put your hands together, how to create a platform, how to elevate your shoulders, how to have separation from your body, how to angle, how to do all this. I I have an entire course on not just a step-by-step process, but that's just to, you know, understand how to use your body to pass the ball. Now we have to understand how to read, read the server, where do you step? Then you have players beside you. You know, there's so many things that serve receive goes through that I'm, I, I, it would just be too much to, to talk about it in one episode, let alone three episodes. It might be like, this is like a whole season to talk about serve receive. So I'm going to give you three things, okay? One of the questions I received um, from a coach was understanding, you know, who passes where. So one thing that I like to say is when you are setting up your rotation, I like to have my left sides always pass. So you're going to have two left sides. So when you set up your rotation, your two left sides should always be passing. Now for me, my left sides, my power hitters are normally the best passers and best hitters. Okay. So the way that I, I, I've talked about this before, but the way that I do this is I have my, my opposite, my right side, that's my best offensive player. Okay. The best hitter, the best scorer, not necessarily the best passer, but the best hitter and the best scorer. My left sides are my best hitters and passers. So the combination of my best passers and hitters. So if they can't, if they can hit really well, but they can't pass, then they won't be a left side for me because you have to be able to do both. And then your liberos are obviously your, your best passers. So that's how I would set up my, my passers to do it. So my left sides and my libs are always going to be passing no matter what. My opposites don't pass. My middles don't pass. Now, if you're at an age group, now, depending on where you play, where you're not allowed libs as of right now, then you may have to play with this a little more. So as a coach, um, I'm going I'm going to assume you know the way rotation works, like where each player has to be relative to the other. Like, for example, the player in position one has to be behind the player in position two and to the right of the player in position six. Um, but as in, you know, the player in position three right? The player in position three and the player in position five have no relation to each other. So it, it, that, that may sound kind of confusing, but I want you to think about it with all six rotations. The player in position three and the player in position five have no relation to each other, meaning they can go anywhere they want as long as they stay within their rules and they can cross paths. That's fine. And many coaches, all be, you know, when, when you have players that are front court that drop back to pass, this is, this is why, understanding those rules. So if you don't have the ability to use a libero, you may have to play around with maybe having your opposite, your right side pass, 
you may have to do that or you may have to play around or you, you know what to be quite honest what i would do if i was in your position is i would be teaching everybody how to pass because if you ha if you're in a league where liberos aren't allowed to pass i'm assuming you're a very very young league and if you're a very uh, young league then you should be training the fundamentals to everybody because the reality is if you're 13 years old you don't know if you're going to be a middle and 18 you you're still growing so everyone should be learning the fundamentals so this kind of leads into another point i guess for you coaches is don't fall into the trap i fell into this too i'm not gonna lie don't fall into the trap where you you have a 13 year old team or 14 year old team and you see a player that's you know six foot tall and you automatically just say oh you're a middle because you're tall like don't do that because you don't know who's going to grow. You don't know what their skill level is going to be. And on top of that, what if they're your best passer? You know, then they're not going to be your best middle. They're not going to be your middle, period. So don't have hype play, you know, into how you coach. Please, at the younger age group, train the fundamentals, train the fundamentals. Every single person in your gym at the younger age group should be serving and passing. Every single person. Well, everyone's going to serve regardless, but they should all be passing. I, they should all be learning how to use their hands to set the ball as well. Ball control, ball control. There's hand ball control and there's lower ball control. So they should be doing all those things, okay? So that's how I would, I would set up my rotation in terms of passing. Now, seams. Seams is a very, very important thing as well. And um, just to just to show you what seams are, it's kind of tough to explain it, but bear with me. Um, so I want you to picture three players passing. Okay, so you have three players and, you know, one, six, and five. A seam is the distance between each player or the distance between the player and the end line. Okay, so if you're passing out of one, there's going to be a seam between that player and the end line. If you're passing between one and six, that's a seam right there. There's also a seam between player five and player six, position five and six. And then there's a seam from position five to the sideline. So there are four seams in total, the space between the players. Now, why seams are important is because that is going to tell, like when the players step on the court, they're going to call what seam they're responsible for. And that will tell the other player that they don't have to worry about a ball that is being passed or served rather into that area. So for example, if the person in uh, position six comes on the court and says, I have both seams, then that means is they have any ball that is served to the right of them and to the left of them. And that way the player in position one and five will know that those balls are that player and you know they don't have to worry about that. I, I remember when I was um when I would I would oversee elementary school games and it was funny. And again, I'm not making fun of any coaches here because it's not their fault. You know, I, I, the fact that people are coaching is amazing and I love that. But when I hear coaches say um, call the ball. Whoever called it first is their ball, or you know who who was closest to the ball, and and things like that. It's it's tough because I get where they're coming from, but you have to remember that it's really tough to see who was closest to the ball or where the ball was going. The ball is coming really fast, so it the, the amount of time it's going to take for someone to see to like you know be able to see who's the closest to the ball call the ball and then go that's it's just it's just not going to work out you know what i mean so seems is easy because then we can see where the ball is going and then no one has to say anything they know whose ball it is and then yes it's obviously it's great for them to say i got it because it just helps reinforce that now to even mix things up and confuse you even more which i hope i haven't already i apologize if i have um but, and I explain all this in Digital Volleyball Academy so much detail. That's why it's tough to do it um, you know, on a podcast. But then there's this thing called passing zones, okay? 
And you're going to have to bear with me with this one, okay? Passing zones. Listen to this. So close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. Stay, keep your eyes on the road, but close your eyes. And I want you to picture someone passing, okay? Picture someone, let's say, let's say it's, it's a, the player in position five, okay? So keep that, keep that in the back of your head. Player is in position five, okay? They're getting ready to receive a ball. The server is going to serve a nice float serve, and it's going to be going into the direction of player five. All right, are we picturing that? So close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes. The player in position five is about to receive a ball. The server served the ball into the direction of player five, and now the ball is crossing over the plane of the net, and it's coming to player in position five, but it's starting to turn. It's starting to shift, change direction, and go to the player in position six. It's starting to do that. So if the player in position five had left seams, meaning they're only responsible for the ball that is to the left of their body. But as the serve, as the ball is coming over the net, it's coming out to the right of player five. But player five could still get the ball. If they were to stick their hands out and get their platform behind the ball, they could still get their platform really nice and easy behind the ball. So my question to you is whose ball is that? Because we called left seams, which means the player in position five is responsible for the seam to their left, which means the player in position six would be responsible for the seam to their left. And I'm telling you right now, the ball is coming and it's going and it's passing the player in position five and and not going to the left of them anymore, but it's going to the right of them. But they can still get the ball. Well, whose ball is that? This is where understanding passing zones comes in very handy. So a passing zone is any time a player is standing in a position, so the, the player in position five was standing, and they can reach out to the side of their body, that is their passing zone. So in our case here, the player could reach out and get their platform comfortably behind the ball, even though it's to the right of them. Even though it's not their seam, it's in their passing zone. So because it's in their passing zone, it's still their ball. Okay, so let me just repeat that and summarize that for you. If you go on the court, and let's say we all call left seams, everyone called left seams. So position five is only responsible to the balls to the left of them. The player in position six is responsible to the ball to the left of them. And the player in position one is responsible for the ball to the left of him or her, as well as the ball between them and the end line or the sideline, because there's no one responsible for that, right? If the ball is not coming to your seam, but it's in your passing zone, as in the example I just gave you, it is still your ball. Because it would not make any sense for the player in position six to reach all the way over, probably have to take a step or two to get to the ball when you were right there, you were close to it, it was in your passing zone. So that is extremely important to understand when you are doing serve-receive, okay? So two big tips for you there. Understanding... Um, you know, left sides that are passing and understanding how to manipulate your rotation accordingly. And seams and passing zone. Seams and passing zone. Very, 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 very important. Okay? You got to make sure we understand how to do seams and passing zone. Okay? I hope I explained it okay for you. Um, 
And again, like this, this is why it's tough for me to do it over a podcast episode because it's such an in-depth topic, serve, receive. It's very, very, very um, in-depth. And I have an entire course on serve, receive inside Digital Volleyball Academy. So I, I get why it can be very uh, confusing at times. All right, let's talk about, we'll talk about one more today. I was trying to, I always try to get through four, but um, I try to keep the episodes 30 minutes long or at least no more than 30 minutes long um, because I found that 30 minute episodes are perfect. Just like a TV show, TV show, actually TV show is less than 30 minutes. It's because with commercials, but I don't, I don't have any sponsors. So if anybody wants to sponsor me, sure, send me a message. But until then, we're going to keep it at 30 minutes. Um, let's talk about blocking. Okay. So we finish off with blocking. A lot of uh, coaches, you know, reach out to me about blocking. I've been actually talking about it quite a bit on my Instagram lately. So blocking now, blocking is um, we're going to talk about five five things, um, and I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because again, I, I have I have an entire course on blocking inside DVA as well um, because it's very very obviously it's it's there's a lot to do with it. It's a lot. So when it comes to blocking, I want you to break it down to your athletes in this sense. Their stance. So, how are they standing? You know, and are they standing in an athletic position? Um, are their arms up, ready to go? Okay, are there or are their arms to the side and not ready to go? So, understanding their stance is important. So, make sure their stance is good. Their footwork. So, we have to make sure we are. You know, whether you're shuffling, whether you're doing um, a three or four step approach footwork to the side, the footwork is going to be really important. So, make sure that they understand how to use their footwork and making sure they're not drifting. The footwork is gonna help them not drift. Reading, which has been a topic as of this weekend. Reading is really important, so making sure your athletes understand cues. Cues are, are gonna be super important. So knowing what the cues are, understanding how to read the cues, and then more importantly, trusting the cues. The biggest thing that I find with athletes when it comes to reading is because it's so difficult to do, it's such a difficult skill to do, and because it's so difficult, uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to work on it, work on it, and then they're going to give up and start going back to guessing and and just doing what what's easier. So you have to train them to be disciplined in reading. And how we read is breaking down the cues step by step and training the eye sequencing so they trust that. And as coaches, when you're looking at your players move, when you're looking at them read, make sure you're looking at their eyes. Their eyes is going to tell you exactly what they're doing. Because you can tell if a kid is ball watching or not. If they're looking at the ball way too long, then they're ball watching. And therefore, that's why they're going to be late. So really understanding how to, you know, the eye sequencing is going to be important for your players uh, to do that. Okay. Jumping. Huge, huge, uh, just as much as jumping on the attack, jumping on the block is very important. Um, so make sure their technique is right. Make sure they're, you know, they're they're not they're not hurting themselves by having bad technique on the jump because it ha- with with blocking more than anything, you can easily hurt your jump with blocking footwork because blocking footwork isn't as easy as an approach. An approach, you're going in a straight line. You're not really turning and jumping and doing all these things. Blocking now. You are moving, you're reading, you're turning your body potentially, depending on your footwork. You're now having to look at an, uh, a hitter. Like There's a lot more things you're doing. So there's a lot more room for your technique to not be there. And unfortunately, um, you're probably going to screw up your jump because of that. Okay, so we want to make sure that our jump is, our, our technique is great for our jump, just period, okay? And the last thing, hand positioning. Hand positioning is very important. You want to make sure that um, 
your players don't have poor hand positioning, so if the ball goes off their hands, at least they have a shot at putting it down, or they have a shot at playing the ball on back in the back court, so they can you know run an offense out of it. So make sure that their hand positioning is good, and you combine all five of these things together, you have a formula for a good blocker. Okay, but you have to break it down into these five steps and make sure that they understand the five steps and understand how to use those five steps accordingly. Um, and again, in, in, in DVA, I, 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 I teach all these five steps and I break it down even further because it's it's tough, right? It's not, it, it's it's such a, like, like blocking's tough. And you know what's funny? I have, um, like I have coaches that I respect. I respect tremendously. And I think like they only do blocking for like the first couple of weeks of uh, the season and that's it, they don't touch it again. Because there's many coaches that believe, you know, the the block itself is not directly proportional to your wins. It, it, it has the, it's the most limiting factor in your ability to win a game. Um, and there's studies that have been proved, that have proven that. Uh, now, I, I, I don't believe that to an extent. Like I, I still work on blocking heavily in my practice and I just, based on my experience, I believe that blocking can be a significant factor in winning a game. Um, I get the, the and, and the reason that many people don't, don't focus on it is because of, of this fact. And the fact is, if the ball is set off the net, the hitters always have the advantage. Period. I don't care how good of a blocking team you are. If the ball is set off the net, the hitter has the advantage. Now, what the hitter chooses to do with that advantage is another story. But at the end of the day, they have the advantage. So knowing that, I would rather focus. Well, this is the this is the argument. They would rather focus more on that aspect of the game because that is in their control. They can score versus blocking, which is not in their control. So I get it. I just have a different opinion on it but i but I, but it's the fact of having the conversation it's good to know that that's what the conversation is and you as a coach i mean every coach that's listening to this is going to be different and i respect and i trust that you'll know what's best for your team and you make that call that's the great thing about being a coach and i'm, I'm always going to tie this back into the podcast that is why the podcast is called volleyball by design because it's your design you design how you want it to suit your yourself and your team so we're going to finish off with those three topics. Um, we still got a ton more to get through, but it's okay. I um, I love uh, I love talking about these kind of things. It's great. So, coaches, I hope you had some good value out of this episode. Listen, if you um, if you liked it, if you liked pre- uh, previous episodes, please rate and review the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, it would mean a lot to me. And I, on top of that, it it enables me to get the podcast out to more people, which is great. Um, and. And yeah, and and Coach's Workshop, this Wednesday, October 28th, 2020, it's going to be great. We have, uh, last time I checked, I think we have 250 people signed up. It's exciting. It's exciting, exciting. And and 250 people from around the world, I might add, not even just in North America. Like we have, I think, New Zealand, Australia, Spain. um, I can't remember other ones, but there was so much more like all over Europe, Italy, all, all over Europe. It was unreal. And then um, on top of that, we have the United States and Canada, like all over the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Philippines, we got a couple in the Philippines. Uh, Suriname. Hmm. Germany. Oh, I can't forget about Germany. You have that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting a lot of others. But there's a lot of a lot of different coaches from around the world that are coming. So it's going to be great. I'm so excited about it. So it, the, the link's in the show notes. And you can also hit me up on Instagram. Brian Singh underscore Coach B. I'll put uh, my info in the show notes as well so you can find me there if you have any questions. The link's there as well. And I can't wait to see you inside the workshop. All right, that's it for me, everyone. I will see you next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. 
Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.